Awesome, awesome. Well, what an amazing thing to be together and to proclaim the praise and the worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is wonderful to be with you. I love you. Go ahead and grab a seat. And uh, you, what you might want to do is you might want to grab your notes out of your handout. Uh, at some point this morning, I'd love for you to grab your connection card out of your handout and fill that out. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But I just want you to understand sort of what it is that we're trying to go after in this series. It's a series called Worship the King. And last week, what we wanted to do is just kind of break the, 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 the uh, sort of any uh, barriers around worship, any sort of misconceptions around worship. We just wanted to break because worship is so much bigger than just a genre of music. And, and, and I know that's where it gets relegated to, but it's way, way bigger than that. And so we wanted to, to make sure that you understood that worship is about anything we do that brings glory and honor to our Lord and our Savior. Worship is ministry straight to God's heart. God actually inhabits the praises of his people. And so we wanted to go after what that looked like. We wanted to go after just breaking that wide open, recognizing that worship isn't primarily for us. We are the benefactors and, and we benefit from it, but it is absolutely ministry for God. And, and the last thing we talked about was this idea of sacrifice of praise, that, that there there's a way in which we offer God a sacrifice of praise. And we'll talk more about that today. But, but one of the things I wanted to make really, really clear is the, the idea that we are um, to worship first. So the, the concept is we worship first in terms of our priority and our purpose. And we worship first in terms of our response to whatever it is that we're, that's happening to us in our life. Having said that, my heart for us as a church is that God would continue to build this church, Overlay Christian Church, as a church of worshipers who worship first. That is my prayer. That is what we want to be. Um, and that's what we're going after in this series. Are you with me so far? Okay. So having said all that, by way of recap... I really felt like God brought me to a passage in scripture this week, which is a narrative. It's a story about Paul and Silas, and it's a story about how they live as worship first. They're, they're worshipers who worship first. So let's just jump right into it. This is found in the book of Acts, chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open to those. The, the, the sermon will, or the scripture will be on your notes. It'll be on the screen as well. This is what it says in verse 16. It says, One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, by the way, you might want to circle the we right there. As we were going down, um, the person who's writing the book of Acts is a person named Luke. Luke is a doctor. Luke also wrote another book. He wrote the gospel according to Luke. So he wrote a gospel. He wrote the book of Acts. And so anytime you're reading through the book of Acts and you see the pronouns we or us, it's, it's, that was an experience that Luke, he wasn't researching about. He wasn't listening to that story. He was a participant in it. So that's what's going on here when he says, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. So as you take a look at that passage, let's just unpack what's going on here. This girl has a demonic spirit of divination. 
And in the Old Testament, um, they're actually commanded, and we're commanded, not to pursue fortune-telling, not to pursue, uh, you know, divination. And, and, and then in this chapter, we see the why behind the command. The why is you don't want to get your marching orders from a demon. Nobody does. God doesn't want that for you. So this is why we don't go after this. And, 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 and then I want you to notice, though, so, so the demonic spirit of divination gives this young woman insight into the spiritual realm. And so she's reacting to the Holy Spirit in Paul and in Silas and in Luke and the others. So there's this, there, she can see that, oh, there's something incredibly different and unique about these men. That the, there's the spirit of God most high in them. And so what does she do? She's proclaiming this thing that they are servants of the most high God. They're telling you how to be saved. This happens to be true. That's exactly what they were doing. They were telling people how to be saved through Jesus Christ. However, you can, you know, you realize, well, why was that a bad thing? You know, just picture, I mean, I, I've never seen it, but just, you know, you could imagine like one of those movies where they're, they're like, it wasn't a pretty picture and she was probably screaming and hoarse and probably up in their space and, you know, she was relentless and not trying to help their mission at all, but trying to hinder it. And, and you could just imagine that she was screaming it relentlessly again and again and again. I mean, this is headache producing reality, right? And, and so all that was going on and it wasn't just going on for like a half hour it wasn't just going on for like an afternoon. This was going on day after day after day. And so that's where we'll pick it up again in verse 18. It says, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Okay, I want you to just understand this. He finally gets tired of the migraine headache that this situation has produced. And so he just says to her calmly, I command you to be gone in the name of Jesus Christ. And it left no drama. Now I want you to understand, and there's more here to mine, and there's probably a whole sermon or a whole sermon series around this passage. But the short story that I want you to make a note of is this, that so often we remain harassed and we remain bothered by situations and spirits that we actually have authority over. So as worshipers of Jesus, as children of God, we have the Holy Spirit of God Most High dwelling within us through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we can command in the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus my Lord, confusion be gone, doubt be gone, scarcity be gone, that, that all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been ascribed to Jesus Christ and in him he gives us, confers to us that authority as well. So be encouraged, friends. That's what I want you to know. Be encouraged that you can walk in so much more authority, so much more power that God has for you to experience. Okay, so let's, that's what's going on. Let's keep going. The next verse, it says, her master's hopes of wealth. So what was happening is this slave girl, she was owned by these masters in Philippi and they were exploiting her to be able to tell the truth. She was a fortune teller in this town and they were getting rich off of her affliction. And they were upset at what had happened here. So her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. 
The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. All right, so let's unpack this. By the way, you need to know I love this whole chapter in Scripture. I love all of Acts chapter 16. And there is a reason, personally, that I love it. It's because I've been there. I was able to lead a, a, a group from Overlake on a trip. We went in the footsteps of Paul. So we go to this place of Philippi. It's, it's so preserved. I've actually been to the riverside where Lydia, who she was the first European believer in Jesus Christ. And uh, they led her to the Lord there at this river and they baptized her there. So I've been to this river, this beautiful river, right outside of this ancient ruin of Philippi, which is beautifully preserved. I've been to that marketplace that they talk about here where they dragged Paul and Silas. I've been right into the middle of that area. And then um, I've even been to the dungeon, which is just off to the side where they would jail any criminals, any offenders of the Roman uh, you know, law and citizenry. And I've been to the inner uh, dungeon where they think Paul and Silas were kept and shackled there. So, so I got a really good visual for what's going on in this chapter. And that's why I love it. And I'm sorry if it feels like I'm bragging. I really am. I'm bragging. I had a great experience and sorry you didn't. You know what I mean? But there's another reason why I love this chapter, and it's for what's happening right here. It's for what's going on in this moment right here. And here's what I mean. I tend to think, and sometimes you do too, that when you do something good, you will get a reward for it. I, I, I tend to think that there's this formula that happens, that if you win a spiritual battle, you'll be applauded for it. Or that if you help someone in dire need, that will be received with gratitude. And the truth is, the truth is, eternally speaking, that is the reality. Jesus assures us that we do nothing for the kingdom of God in vain. That he sees every good act, every selfless deed, even a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus to a hot and thirsty traveler will be rewarded in eternity. So we know that's eternally going to happen. But in the here and now, often the opposite of that happens, right? Sometimes doing the right thing brings more pain, right? Sometimes caring for those in need of Jesus' love lands you more punishment as a reward. Sometimes doing the right thing in Jesus' eyes makes, leaves your eyes a little blacked and blued. And Paul and Silas are beaten and they're jailed, not for doing anything wrong, but for doing something awesome in the kingdom of God. And, and, and Sarah Young, she writes a book, Jesus Calling, among other books. And, and she writes this, that we often pursue this illusion of a trouble-free life. But that's what's prepared for us in eternity. You know, what happens is there are so many sayings, uh, teachings of Jesus. So, so many just beautiful one-liners of Jesus, promises that Jesus makes that we love and we memorize, and we put on t-shirts, and we put on calendars, and we put on coffee mugs, right? And we, we love the promises of Jesus. But let me tell you one promise that is on absolutely zero coffee mugs. It's this one. John 16, he says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Anybody own a coffee mug with that on it? 
No, I don't think that exists. We don't like that promise. That's a promise we don't want fulfilled in our lives, right? Here on earth, you will have trial and sorrow. And, and then Peter also says the same thing in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Now, I read that, and I just have to tell you, I'm always surprised. I'm always surprised. I'm like, what is this, a trial? And it's fiery. How strange. God's like, no, Mike, it's not strange. I told you, it's not strange. Why are you pretending that this is something strange happening to you? And, and this is actually the norm. The thing that we're promised in this fallen world where there's a spiritual battle going on is you will have trouble. There will be fiery trial. And I say this because some of you are going through difficulties right now. You're going through trials right now. There's, there's pain in your life right now. And your first response is this. What am I doing wrong, God? What am I doing wrong? I must be doing something wrong to have these fiery trials come. I must be doing something wrong to have these troubles in my life. I want you to understand, you might be doing everything right. You might be doing exactly what God wants for you to do. Now, I just want to be really clear. You also might be doing really stupid things. I mean, you might be going through stuff you deserve. I get it, right? Like, like, we understand that. So I'm not saying that doesn't exist. Your actions have consequences. We know that. That's not what the point is right here. The point is this. Sometimes you actually do the right thing. Sometimes you stand up in integrity in your work, and you are rewarded in punishment. Sometimes you stand up and you do the right thing in your marriage. You do the right thing by your marriage. You actually love and serve your spouse, even though things are tough, even though they're not reciprocating. You serve your spouse, and then you get dumped on for it. Sometimes you, you actually really humbly pursue the Lord Jesus Christ, or you, you, you serve someone else who's on the margins of society, and instead of applause or instead of gratitude, what you get is punishment. You, you get misunderstood. People run you down. Your reputation takes a hit. Like you need to understand sometimes doing the right thing, not the wrong thing, the right thing actually creates an adverse situation that you now have to deal with. Are you with me? And that's what we see happening in this situation. Now, I want to just say to you before we continue that when you respond with worship in those moments, something very powerful happens, All right? So that's what we're gonna continue to go into, okay? Last week, we left off talking about a sacrifice of praise. Well, here it is, that when you are persecuted, not for something that you do wrong, but for something that you do right, the spiritual victory, the way that you have integrity before the Lord, the honor you try to ascribe to him, when you get persecuted in those moments, that becomes a sacrifice of praise. And Hebrews 13, 15 says this, it should be on the screens. It says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise. You might want to write that down. We offer a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And it's when we're in trouble, though we're innocent, it's when we're getting rocks thrown at us for doing the right thing. It's the blowback from that spiritual victory that leaves us in shackles. When we proclaim our allegiance to Jesus in that moment, that's when our praise becomes a sacrifice to the Lord. 
But there's more going on in this passage than just the irony of them getting treated poorly for doing something beautiful. Check this out. In verse 25, it says, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. You might want to circle that phrase. So, so here it is. This was injustice enacted against them. This was wrongful imprisonment. This was, you know, the indignity of being beaten and bruised for only doing something beautiful for this young girl. And, and they're in jail because of it, shackled there, you know, locked in the inner dungeon. And instead of a pity party, instead of whining about how they haven't eaten that day or how nobody tended to their wounds or just the indignity of the whole situation, here they are, they're praising God and they're praying together. And, and, and look, the other prisoners were listening. The other prisoners were listening. Friends, this is worship first. Paul and Silas, they, they are worshipers first. It's their first priority and their first response. And that's what we're becoming by his grace. But you see, I, I want you to see that something else is going on, and you might want to underline it, that phrase, the other prisoners were listening. Because that's what's happening when you choose to praise God when it doesn't really make sense. See, this is the fill-in. This is worship as a powerful witness for God. And it's not just that they were unjustly imprisoned. It's not just that they were unfairly beaten. It's not just that they were punished for doing a good thing for that girl. It's that in the midst of all of this injustice, they chose to praise God. They chose to worship God. They chose to honor Jesus and lift his name in allegiance. And I just want to say that when it doesn't make sense to worship, but you choose to worship anyway, that's when the witness of your worship becomes powerful. And it's the loudest thing going on. Those prisoners had no choice but to listen because it was so completely otherworldly in their experience. Who in the world would praise Jesus after being beaten unjustly? Who in the world would choose to praise Jesus after being in jail? You know, Paul and Silas, they thought to themselves, what do you want to do today? At no point did they say, let's get beaten and thrown in jail. Like that just was not a part of the plan. And yet it didn't matter. They go to the Lord anyway in worship. They're living into that last part of the promise that we do see on coffee mugs in John 16, 33, where Jesus says, take heart because I have overcome the world. And when we choose to live as overcomers and when we choose to worship despite our circumstances, this is our most powerful witness. And by the way, friends, I do just want to tell you that your witness happens every time we gather together corporately in this place. And I love all of our brothers and sisters who watch online. I love the ministry that God is building around the world in terms of people who are tracking with us uh, at Overlake Christian Church. But just know this, your worship here collectively is a powerful witness for the reality of God's presence in our lives. That I have talked to people who have just come into our context and, and, and they experience the worship. They see hands raised. They, they experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in this moment being exalted and honored. And it changes something within them. And this is why every time you come to the Lord and, and you worship the Lord, I want you to come expectantly, knowing that in expectation God will meet you. And in expectation there will be change that happens in your life. This is a powerful worship as witness for other people. 
But there's actually more going on in this passage. So let's keep going. The next verse, verse 26, it says, Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. I, I love that. I love it so much. It, here's what's interesting. I grew up in Southern California, as some of you have, and I have lived through, I just don't even know how many jiggly earthquakes I've experienced. And, and what's interesting, all you have to do is Google, you know, earthquake damage. I did it this week just to see. And you will see just devastating damage happen all around the world because of earthquakes. What you will not see when you Google earthquake damage is jail doors swinging open and shackles falling off prisoners. That actually isn't a, a normal response to the ground shaking. So I suggest to you humbly in this moment, this is not a mere natural shifting of tectonic plates. This is a supernatural shifting in the heavenly realms. Are you with me? That God himself is now engaged in the worship of Paul and Silas. And God himself is now meeting them as they worship him no matter what is going on. And this is the next fill-in, and I hope you understand. This is an example of worship as a form of spiritual warfare. Right? This, is a, this is an example of God meeting us when we worship him, despite what's going on. We begin to engage in a spiritual battle, and we place the battle in the hands of the Lord. Pastor Carl Lentz says this. He says, praise is a problem for your problems. Praise is a problem for your problems, that, that when we go to the Lord, when we're faced with many problems and trials, that that actually engages something in the heavenlies. And, and this is the way we engage the battlefield. Friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, as children of God Most High, we engage the battlefield most effectively on our knees in worship. If you want to see a beautiful example of this in the Old Testament, uh, you need to take a look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And there's this passage where there's a king of Israel. His name is King Jehoshaphat. And King Jehoshaphat is told there are three armies now amassing and marching against Israel. And so they all get together and they pray and they say, God, what's going on? What do you want us to do? And, and they get a word from God and, and God communicates to them. He says, you don't need to do anything. Don't sharpen your swords. You're not even going to draw your swords in this battle. God says to them, this battle is my battle. God says, all you need to do is worship. And so the next day, the entire nation of Israel gathers together. And they all gather together in this beautiful processional, this per parade, if you will, of worship. And they put their, their worshipers out in front. They put their temple choir members. They, they put, you know, the instrumentalists. They, they put them all out in front, the marching band. And they all follow after them. And they all worship. And they honor God. And they exalt him. And they lift him high. And they magnify him. And as they go, by the way, just so you know, in the material realm, in the flesh, I think if you're going to march into battle with your choir out in front, what it means is you're ready for a new choir. And... and uh, sort of just decide, who, who do we want? Okay, let's send them first. And so, but, but here's the thing, because they, they go under the banner of worship, because all they do is worship and, and they worship as a form of spiritual warfare and, and they put the battle in the hands of God most high. By the time they get to the battlefield, God has already won the battle. 
And there's not a single sword drawn on the Israelite side because God has taken care of it. And I, I want you to understand, this is communicated throughout the scriptures. Here's uh, uh, Zechariah 4.6. It's not the same context, but it's the same concept where we read, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So we want to put the battle in the hands of the, of the Holy Spirit. We want to put the battle in the hands of God Almighty. And how we do that is worship. And so this is why we worship first. Worship before you exhaust your, your um, you know, contact list. Worship before you exhaust any good ideas you have. Worship before, you know, you do your natural human response. Like, this is one of those challenges where really when we come against something, we choose to go to worship as a first priority and a first response. Okay. By the way, can I just tell you this? You have strong hands. You've got probably much stronger hands than you think you have. And there, there is more you can handle than, than you even know. But I want you to understand, if it comes to a choice between putting the battle in your hands and putting the battle in God's hands, there should be only one option. Right? We want the battle to be in his hands. Are you guys with me? Okay. All right, let's keep going, because this is interesting how this is going to continue to unfold. Verse 27, it says, The jailer woke to see the prison doors wide open. And I, I want to unpack this more fully next week. In fact, I, I just want to mention it here because it's, it's actually it's just a part of this narrative. It's a part of how God works through worship. But just know we're going to unpack this more fully next week. This is the, the truth that worship brings freedom. Worship brings freedom to those who worship. We are sons, we're daughters of, of God Most High in Jesus Christ. But when we engage the Lord in worship, we begin to experience more and more of the freedom that God has in mind for his children. Amen. So just make a little asterisk there. We're going to talk about that more next week. Let's continue. It says, he, the jailer, assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. He did this because in the ancient world, that's what jailers would do. That they knew that if they could not maintain the prisoners they were entrusted with, that death was the result, probably a horrible, horrific kind of a death. And so the jailer thought, it's easier to kill myself now uh, than to endure that. And, and so he's pulled his sword out. He's ready to take his life. And Paul shouts, don't, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Amen. So as I read through that passage, the thing that comes to my mind, I wrote this down in the margins of my Bible. It's, that's quite a night. Are you with me? That's quite a night. You, you, you think about the, the whole thing, and so Paul and Silas, they find themselves in jail for doing a great thing, and, and here they are. They're beaten, and they're bleeding, and they're unfed, and they're shackled. And so, of course, they do what you would do. They praise Jesus Christ with all their might, right? 
That's exactly the moment where we need to be drawn into worship first. So they, they're just praising Jesus and they're honoring God and they're worshiping him and they're magnifying his name. And all the prisoners are listening because it's such a different message than they would have expected. It's such an unheard of thing to be reverberating through the halls of that dungeon that having gone through all of that injustice, they're actually choosing to magnify God most high. And so it's a powerful witness. And of course, God enjoins the worship. The God who indwells the, and inhabits the praise of his people meets them in that. And the, the earth shakes and the doors fall open and the shackles fall off. And, and Paul says, look, nobody has left, he says to the jail, jailer. Why? Why has nobody left? Because this is the best show in town. Why would you leave? Something's happening here. I want to see what's going on. And so the jailer doesn't kill himself. He falls on his knees and he says, what do I need to do to be saved? And they say, Jesus. It's all Jesus. Jesus has done everything. All you got to do is place your faith in Jesus because he is God in the flesh and he has died on the cross and rose again from the grave. And he is preparing a place for us in heaven. So put your faith in Jesus. And this jailer says, I do. And my whole household does. And, And so then they go back to his house. And I want you to just picture this. They go back to his house and the jailer begins to administer first aid while they talk theology. Right? So the whole household is awake now. They're all talking theology. The jailer's washing their wounds and he's bandaging their cuts and, and he's making sure that they're a little more comfortable. They haven't been cared for all day since they've been beaten, but the jailer, now it's this 1 a.m. You know, first aid session while they talk theology. And, and then, of course, they've all believed in Jesus. And so now we need to get baptized. So, so they march out of town and they go down to the river where Lydia was baptized and, and they all get baptized. And so now we're talking, it's a 2.30 a.m. baptism in this beautiful you know, stream that's flowing just out of town. And, and they all get baptized and then they're celebrating, they're praising, they're all rejoicing. They come back and the jailer says, are you hungry? And Paul says, but you know I am. And so they have this, they have this beautiful spread. It's a beautiful breakfast slash dinner slash, you know, whatever it is that that they joyously break bread together. It's it's a 4 a.m. feeding. And then, you know, the jailer says, all right, bud, let's let's get you back in your cell. And so it's it's just this interesting, interesting thing, right? Like at no point did Paul look at Silas the day before and say, I got a good idea for tonight. No, no. And, and, And this is what I want you to catch. Because this is, to me, is what is so, it's, it's so, like it just, it, it, it makes me enlivened and it quickens my heart and it, it just, it just buoys me up. And it's this thing I want to point out to you and I want you to go away with. It's worship as an adventure. It, it's worship at, at, at this recognition that you don't know what's going to happen when you begin with worship. You don't know what victory is in store when you begin with worship. When your first response is worship, you don't know what God is going to open up. You don't know what's around the next bend. You don't know. Here's the thing, and I just find this so interesting, is often we pray, God, put me in the right spot. But we pray, God, put me in the right spot. Put me in the exact right spot because we think that he's going to put us somewhere for our benefit. But, but Paul and Silas, they were put in exactly the right spot in jail. They were put in exactly the right spot to impact this jailer's life and the household's life and all of the other prisoners' life. They were put in exactly the right spot for other people. But they would have missed it if it was all self-pity. They would have missed it if it was just, oh, I can't believe this injustice. 
They would have missed it if it was all God. What are, what are we going to do with this trial that we're facing? No, instead, they worshiped. And because they worshiped, a whole adventure was opened up before them. Are you with me? And so this is what I want to leave you with. This is the, the concept that I want you to explore in your own life. And I was talking to our creative team this week. All of us had stories about how when we chose worship as a first response, that there was a beautiful and unlooked for adventure that God had in store for us. My friend Jenny was talking to me and she was saying that it's amazing how God has in, in this season of her life, it seems like he's opened up brand new vistas of her faith journey. She said this, she sent me an email. She said, I feel like God's calling me on an adventure like Gandalf called Bilbo on. And then she quoted it, and, and you might remember this. Gandalf says, I'm looking for someone to share an adventure I'm arranging, and it's very difficult to find anyone. And Bilbo responds, I should think so in these parts. We are plain, quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. I can't think of what anyone sees in them. And that was, you know, from the Shire, but really we, uh, on the east side anyway, we kind of live in the Shire and we sort of respond like Bilbo and it's like, oh, what do I need with adventure? And Gandalf says, you'll have a tale or two to tell when you come back. And Bilbo says, can you promise I'll come back? And Gandalf says, no. And if you do, you will not be the same. Because that's what happens when we say yes to the adventure that Jesus calls us on. That's what happens when we open up our lives to the adventure that he will propel us along when we choose to worship him first. That we will be changed. The expectations are changed. The parameters of victory are changed. The, the reason for me being in any particular moment, in my workplace, in my marriage, in my neighborhood, all of a sudden, my position anywhere has totally changed. The paradigm is absolutely shifted when I'm a worshiper worshiping first because I don't exist there for my own sake. I exist there for God's glory. And I exist there to impact others with worship as a witness. Are you with me? And this becomes then the entry of the adventure that God sends all of us on. Pastor Pat told me this story, and I'm just gonna read it in his own words. He said, when I was a junior in high school, I remember being at a youth event at our sister church on the north side of Spokane. This was actually uh, Pastor Josh McQueen's home church that he grew up in. It was a season of feeling anxiety over not knowing what I was going to do after high school. Everyone was asking me what I wanted to be or do when I grew up, and I was really unsure. While at this youth event, there was a time to respond in worship. I remember not caring what anyone else thought in the room that night. I needed to lay on the ground and tell God I was willing to do anything and everything that he wanted me to do. It was the first time I truly surrendered to him. And the anxiety and the stress about my future evaporated. And that night changed the whole course of the rest of my junior year. I worshiped so much. I bought an acoustic guitar, it's, it's in his office today. I learned the four holy chords that make up every praise song ever written. I'd go into the basement laundry room and play my guitar and worship and it was my act of surrendering high school. It was my act of surrendering the years beyond high school to him and I look back, I can honestly say, Jesus has been leading me on an adventure all along to Northwest University, my wife 
Leah, Overlake Christian Church, my son, Sailor. It's crazy to think about. I still have my bouts with stress, fear, and anxiety over what's next in life or what the future holds. But in those moments, I return to worship. Overlake, that's, that's what I want. That's the adventure that, that I want for myself. And friends, that's what I want for you. That's what I, I want for you. I, 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 want us, I want us to lean into our identity as worshipers who worship first. And I don't know, I don't know where the road might lead for you. I, don't, I, I can't see sort of down the road and where the twists and turns and what God might open up for you. And, and I don't understand, I, I just can't. I can't predict what, what kind of misunderstanding or, or, or what kind of injustice even might happen as you do the right thing but get punished for it. The, the reward for doing something beautiful in someone's life is actually uh, some kind of a, a ding on your reputation, some kind of a demotion, some kind of a loss of equity somewhere in your life. I, I can't predict that. I, 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 don't, I, I don't even know what kind of, like maybe jail cell might open up for you and God have you placed in. I will visit you, but I, I don't know, you know, what, what that might look like in your life. And, and certainly I don't know what kind of witness that might open up for you. And I don't know who might respond as you worship powerfully in those moments. And I don't know who's going to fall on their knees before you and say, what do I need to do? to be saved, and I don't know what's going to happen for you if there's any midnight baptisms in store for you. I don't know if there's any 4 a.m. dinners for you. I, I don't know if there's any kind of households transformed for eternity in your future. All I know is this, that there's an adventure that the God of the universe is inviting you on, and the first step of that adventure is worship. So friends, can we do it? Can we be worshipers who worship first? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's ask Jesus for his help. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful to be surrounded by brothers and sisters that because of the work that you have done through your crucifixion and resurrection, your ascension, through the reality of you as God in the flesh, as showing us the way by which we might be saved. It's, it's through you and a faith in your name. And, and Jesus, we just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for being the provider of salvation. Thank you for being the lifter of our head. Thank you for being the one who meets us, whether we are on a, the pinnacle of a mountaintop or we are deep, deep in a dark valley. You meet us where we are and you love us. And and Lord, we just want to start by saying we are so thankful for you. And Jesus, we ask that you would continue to do your work of transformation within us, that, that you would continue to develop us, develop the muscles within each one of us spiritually, that we would be worshipers of you, that we would be worship, worship first as a response, worship first as a priority, that we would understand that this is where we come most fully alive, we would understand that this is where our deepest freedoms lie, that this is the greatest adventure life provides for us, that we would understand that, that this is where we experience your presence, the intersection of heaven on earth and Jesus, that we would understand even when we don't feel it, 
even when the circumstances don't seem to warrant it, when we worship as a sacrifice of praise, that unleashes our greatest witness for your kingdom. So Lord Jesus, please meet us, walk with us, allow us to continue this journey of being your worshipers who worship you first. We pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you stand to your feet and let's continue to do what Jesus invites us to.